I would love someone that just read this book to feel less lonely in thinking differently and thinking outside of the box. A lot of us within our organizations, within our jobs, we feel these things are missing, but we're not sure if it's only us and maybe we're weird. Maybe I should be more bossy and authoritarian and just go with the flow and just follow the rules. And I think the reality is that a lot of us think that we need to change the rules of the game and a lot of people are already speaking up. And my hope is that once you've read this book, you feel reassured that the many people that are already breaking the rules of the game, already rethinking the rules of the game, and that each of us can play a role in doing that. No matter if we are a big, important CEO or if we're super junior staff, we can play a role in shaping the rules of the game. We don't need to follow the rules of Welcome, I'm your host Dino Cattaneo and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. Last week, we talked about storytelling-based leadership with Don Martelli, president of the Belfort Group, an integrated digital and marketing communication agency based in Boston. Today, we have a return guest, a few months ago, in episode 101, we met Gaia van der Esch, a brilliant young leader who operates in the global NGO space. She mentioned her upcoming book on how women are redefining leadership. She gave us a little preview, but since I found the topic extremely interesting, I made her promise to come back to talk about it once it came out. The book came out on November 30th, so here she is, fulfilling her promise. I will give you just a quick preview. The book features the story of seven different leaders, and each one of them embodies a specific leadership quality. In our conversation, Guy expanded on that, and on the lessons that everyone, not just women, can take from the book. Enjoy. Gaia, it's great to have you back. The last time we spoke, you told us that there was a book coming out. The book is called Leading Our Way, How Women Are Redefining Leadership, and it's out now. And so I'm very excited that you kept your promise and you're back here to talk to us about the book. I'm very excited too. Thank you for having me. Let's start. Where did the idea from the book come from? The idea from the book came really from my personal experience. Last time that I was a guest on your podcast, we discussed it about my role, about my career. I'm someone that has a management profile. So I've been within many nonprofit and government organizations for the entirety of my career. I've had mainly male bosses, from which I've learned a lot in many cases, for sure. There are many amazing bosses that are male as well. It's not like this feminism in the sense of it's only women that count, but it's like women also count. And, and we also have a perspective and we should also think what we can learn from that. And this book was a bit of a personal realization that often leadership is seen as management, as a little bit authoritarian ways of managing people and processes and organizations and as control, as, uh, you know, just being a big boss that imposes itself and that gets their way through and that is competitive and that is really good at advancing your self-interest and the self-interest of your organization. And it's often lacking a whole set of skills, which I actually think are the true skills we would need at the center of leadership, especially when we look at our world today between you know climate change, wars, 
poverty, like we need to really rethink what does leadership actually look like? What is it that really counts? And is it profit? Is it self-interest? Is it affirming yourself? Or is it our common interest? Is it our capacity to be empathetic with each other, our capacity to collaborate, our capacity to advance and empower others, not impose ourselves on others? So this book is a book that tries and do just that, right? That tries and provide an expanded vision of what leadership is uh, that maybe goes a little bit beyond the traditional interpretation of leadership to make it richer, to make it more varied, to give more examples of what leadership can look like and hopefully inspire people to become that type of leader and have the courage to be empathetic, have the courage to collaborate, have the courage to do things that often are not incentivized within organizations, especially when you move up the ladder and start being the change that we need to see in our organizations. It's a great perspective. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago around the challenges that leaders face when they move from lower middle management to upper roles. They pointed out that there's a lot of classes that have case studies and that train you like the what we think of as the traditional skills of a leader. But there's a lot of other skills that are sort of in between, if you will, and that there are very people that are talking about those skills. And when, you know, when you and I talked about how your book is organized and some of the themes, it really felt like everything that you're talking about here falls within the realm of those other skills. So when you were here the last time, you mentioned that your book, the chapters of the book are organized by specific traits or skills that you believe are important for leadership. So why don't you refresh your memory and mention some of these traits and then we can go maybe in depth into some of those. The book actually features seven uh, leaders, contemporary leaders, trailblazing women that I think are redefining what leadership looks like and that I've mobilized my whole networks and everyone in the world that could know to get to them and sit down with them, which by itself was an amazing experience. And so each chapter of the book is one of these profiles, one of these women and they're very varied, right? I have the captain of the US uh, national soccer team or football team for Europeans or non-Americans. I have Diane von Fustenberg, which is a very renowned designer. I have Tawakol Karman, which led the revolution in Yemen against the dictatorship and won the Nobel Peace Prize. I have Gloria Steinem in the US. I think everybody knows Gloria Steinem, which is a little bit the mother of feminism in the US. I have Christiana Figueres, which is the woman between the Paris Climate Agreement. Gitanjali Rao, which is this girl. She's now 17. She's already done 11 inventions. She's a girl in STEM. And she's very, very fascinating as a personality and how she thinks about education and about leadership. And lastly, I have Comfort Hero, which is the CEO of the International Crisis Groups. She really works on conflict and peace and negotiation and mediation. So I, I have very different profiles from very, very different worlds. And each chapter is one of them. And it's their personal story. But indeed, as you were saying, it's also their word, right? What is the word that for them really is important when they think of leadership and that they somehow embed this word more than other words, right? I think all of us share a lot of words, but what is that I also felt while talking to them that was coming out in a more interesting, innovative way when speaking to them. So the first chapter, which is Cristiana Figueres, is optimism. 
She calls herself a stubborn optimist. She is super bold. She's super courageous. She's super outspoken, but always with a conviction that she can drive change. And she thinks that having this optimism soul is something that is really important when you're a leader because you want to drive change and you want to last a long time while driving change. And this optimist can really be the source of this positive change you try and bring. The second chapter, which is Gitanjali Rao, is curiosity. As I was telling you, she's an innovator. She's, a, she's in, in STEM, in, in science. She's, she's now studying at MIT. She just started her university. And so, of course, curiosity is seen as a key skill of leadership in the sense that you need to be curious about others, curious about the world, never be certain of what you know, always be ready to learn and to question yourself and to question what's around you. The third skill I have is the skill actually that Becky Sauerbrand brought. Becky is the captain of the U.S. national football team and it's consistency. It's how is it that you show up every single day and understanding what you have control on and that's where you need to be consistent and what is it that it's factors outside of what you can control and that's why you need to be flexible and adaptable and manage them. But what you can do is how is it that you're going to show up every day at your work and, you know, persevere in what you're trying to make happen over a long time. The fourth skill that we have is from Diane von Fustenberg, so the iconic DVF designer, which, did, which invented the wrap dress, and that's authenticity. And it's a skill that speaks a lot to her. She's a woman that had a lot of success. Then at some point, her business completely failed and she had to sell it. Then she went back on top of the world and bought it back and, and you know, raised again as a, as a big star. And now she's someone that is really in her older age and she's trying to give back. But she's always been very true to herself. And she says that to, to lead and to lead change, you need to understand who you are. And what is important for you, because that's what's going to give you motivation. So authenticity needs to be seen as a core component of, of each of us for us to be able to really push forward our passion, what makes us passionate about things and what makes us want to change things. And that's the core component of our capacity to lead. The fifth one is freedom. That's associated to Tawakol Karman, which, as I mentioned, led the whole revolution uh, as a woman in Yemen and got the dictatorship to fall back in 2012. So, of course, it's the idea that you need to be free to be yourself. You need to be free to dream. You need to be free to also believe that also if society tells you, no, you're a woman, you can't. Uh, no, there is a dictator. There is no way that one person can build a movement that makes that dictator fall. And you need to really fight for this freedom and you really need to take the responsibility in your hand to bring that change. Otherwise, Tawakol always says, you're going to put that responsibility on the shoulders of someone else if you don't fight for it. So is this idea that freedom is a core component for any one of us to really lead and be a leader and we need to protect it and build it all together. The sixth one is integrity. And that's that comes from Comfort Hero, which is the CEO of the International Crisis Group. So she deals with governments, with rebel groups, with all sorts of people in the midst of conflict. She thinks integrity with ourselves, integrity with our values, and also honesty, right, uh, towards the values that we carry and towards being able to understand the other person is something that is really key and that we need to hold at the core of leadership if we hope to really bring some change. 
And the seventh skill, which is the final one that are coming from these different leaders that I feature, is circularity from Gloria Steinem. I think it's a very interesting trait. I don't know if it's a skill, it's maybe a trait of leadership. And it's the idea that we always see leadership a bit, as I was saying, as management, as hierarchy, as an authoritarian level of leadership. Uh, Well, leadership is something circular. It's something that comes from our capacity of bringing change, of inspiring people, of getting people behind us, and also sitting together, of sharing our stories, of sharing our experiences a little bit like we're doing today, right? And that's how you build leadership. That's how you build capacity in others, not by being the boss and imposing yourself. So these are the seven skills that they, let's say, feel more strongly about. And then there is an eighth skill that I add in the conclusion. The conclusion is, the title of the conclusion is, it starts with empathy. Because I think empathy is really the core of all of this. If we have leadership without empathy, it's dangerous. If we have a leadership that is looking only at your self-interest or at your fear and it's not connecting with others, I think it's a leadership that can do a lot of harm. And I think we see a lot of that in the world we have today. And the conclusion, of course, it's a bit funny maybe that it's called It Starts With Empathy. But the idea of the conclusion is really to hand it over to whoever is reading this book because it's going to start with each of us after we've read and learned from these amazing leaders uh, to actually start shifting things and start exploring this other domain, as you were saying, of traits that can be associated to leadership. It's interesting that you talked about the conclusion it starts from us. When I started the podcast, the first person that I asked to be interviewed asked me this question, which I will forever be thankful that my first potential guest asked me this question because it really informed the way that I think about the podcast. And her question was, after somebody has listened to an episode, what would you want them to do? I'm going to ask this question to you. What, What would you want somebody who has just read your book to do? So many things. I would love someone that just read this book to feel less lonely in thinking differently and thinking outside of the box. I think a lot of us feel within our organizations, within our jobs, we feel these things are missing, but we're not sure if it's only us and maybe we're weird. Maybe I should be more bossy and authoritarian and just go with the flow and just follow the rules. And I think the reality is that a lot of us think that we need to change the rules of the game and a lot of people are already speaking up. And my hope is that once you've read this book, you feel reassured that there are many people that are already breaking the rules of the game, already rethinking the rules of the game, and that each of us can play a role in doing that. No matter if we are a big, important CEO or if we're super junior staff, we can play a role in shaping the rules of the game. We don't need to follow the rules of the game. So my hope is that people that read this feel a bit less lonely in in thinking differently and in thinking outside of the box. They feel inspired and they also have some very concrete examples and tools because I speak a lot about myself in the book and these leaders that I've featured speak in a very personal way. Some of them cried in the interviews. It's a very personal book that really opens up the, the spectrum of failure, the spectrum of all the challenges we face because it's very difficult to lead. It's very difficult to bring change. And that's just part of it. And it's part of the process and that people feel inspired, but feel also encouraged to take that step and to become part of the change and, you know, go out there in your jobs, in your communities, in your families, wherever it is, 
and try and bring these hard conversations on the table, try and show different type of skills, try and value different type of skills and start shifting the narrative within organizations. That's really what I hope to see. A bit of a movement that feels empowered coming out of this read to really be that change. So I'm going to shift again, talk about how you built and constructed a book. As you were reading the list of the leaders, which is a phenomenal list, there was a glaring hole, which is the traditional superstar CEO. I don't know, somebody like a Meg Whitman or a Carly Fiorina, you know, these female CEOs who've become iconic for their ability to shine. Was that an intentional choice to not feature somebody with a more traditional business background? And if so, what was behind the decision? Yes and no, actually. So when you approach such a book, at least I had at the beginning, like this Excel sheet with all sorts of people that I would have liked to have on the book. And then it organically builds itself, right? It's organically happens that someone says yes. And at that point, then you have, I, for me, it was very important to have people from different sectors. I come from the policy world. So, you know, if I would have followed my heart, it would have been a list of politicians or policy people or people working in the nonprofit sector. And that would have been it. I really wanted something that could give us an understanding of leadership from many different perspectives and also speak to people that work in many different fields, right? Not only people that are policy geeks like myself, let's say. So I had this huge list and then the moment that someone from the sports field said yes, I was like, okay, now my sports field is taken. And all the others I've asked, I had to go back and say, sorry, like it's taken. I have my sport personality that I really wanted. And it was the same when I got someone from, you know, the climate change movement that is working on climate change. And I was like, okay, that box is now taken. And not only I had those criteria of the different fields of work with sectors, but I also tried, which wasn't easy to have people from all over the world, to have at least one person from each continent. So I had this like matrix of mixing different cultures and different sectors that was for me more important than having necessarily the one star that everybody knows. And I'm sure they would have a lot to contribute, but also often they already have a platform and also it's already quite clear uh, what they think and they've proven themselves, right? So I wanted a mix of these different criteria and I wanted a mix of generations so you'll find Gloria Steinem which is I don't want to say something wrong but towards her 90s and you will find Vitangeli Rao that was the time kid of the year when she was 13 14 right so it was not the easiest thing to manage because I had so many things I wanted in my mind that then the final mix was also very organic and it was very much as I went forward, I was like, okay, now this box is taken, let's move to the next box. And how is it that I can move and build that? So I would say not everything was like a super clear choice from the get-go. What was the choice was I want diverse profiles in terms of what they work on, in terms of their age, and in terms of where they come from, and bringing these different perspectives of leadership. Um, so of course, it also means that a lot of the, I think, most renowned profiles, including female leaders, come from the U.S. And I didn't want an overrepresentation of the U.S. So I was quite tight, I would say, on U.S. profiles because I didn't want to have a book which 
only represented that type of personality, that type of culture, that type of voice. Of course, I still have way more people from the US compared to the rest of the world within the book, because it is a reality that a lot of talent, it not only emerges, but it's fostered and it's also quite visible. Uh, I think compared to other cultures, it's easier somehow. I, I always find Americans fascinatingly good at speaking in public and telling this story and being compelling. So very often it's Americans that then appear or be it on TV or on, on the shows or on the podcast. It's a very American dominated field. So it left me with less spots for Americans. And that's where I started thinking, who are the profiles that are a bit more particular, that are a little bit more different than the super mainstream profile, and that can give me also among themselves different perspectives. Sometimes these women contradict themselves. You're going to sometimes read parts of the book and you're like, but she just said this and the previous one said something different. But that's what I wanted in this book. I didn't want to tell a story. I wanted to expand our horizons on the fact that there are many stories and many ways, and they also influence, of course, about our culture, from our cultures, from where we come from, from our experiences, from the fields we work in, but there are also some common traits. And these are the common traits that emerge, and these are the common traits we need to push forward. I love the fact that you just mentioned the different point of views, because there's one book that I think over the past few years has been sort of like as the leading book on female leadership. And it, it's been somewhat polarizing. I think there's very black and white views on this book, which is leaning. The vision of leadership that you're putting forward in this book is a little different. Would you mind sort of like pointing out what are the key differences between leaning and your book? I read Lean In many, many years ago. I mean, now I sound like an old person. I'm not an old person. I'm 36. But I read it when I was, I think, in university or right at the beginning of my career. And I found it back then very useful because I thought, oh, okay, so I need to speak up. I need to get a seat at the table and then occupy it and speak up and be assertive. And it helped me. It gave me some confidence on doing just that. And I think that I succeeded a lot in my career because I do that. I'm a confident person. I'm very balanced, I think, with myself. And I I think I'm also self-reflective, but I do speak up. I say what I think. I say when I disagree. I take my seat at the table. And knowing that there's so few women that have a seat at the table, I actually use it probably even more than I should because I feel I'm somehow representing the whole, I don't know, female gender when I'm speaking up, right? So it's a book that I think, of course, gives you interesting elements on how to navigate, especially the corporate world, probably, and encourages you to take that step to believe in yourself, to claim, you know, your space and be confident. I just think, though, that it's a book, and, and that's great, right? It's great that we encourage women to do all of that. I think, though, it's a book that plays by the rules of the game, right? So we go back to what are the rules of the game? The rules of the game is that to be a leader, to be a boss, you need to be assertive, pull a seat at the table, create your space, speak up, and be like the others. And for me, the reason behind writing this book is that I realized with time, and by doing exactly what Lean In says you should do, I see a problem. I see the problem that we're just perpetrating a way of being leaders, which is not what our companies need. We are just 
continuing and often as women we even become more severe than others on these rules of the game because we're like I've played by them I won because I was playing by them I'm going to now keep them and make sure that all the women in the future also need to play by them and though if you look at the results of many companies of again at the global challenges we're all facing today we can't not ask ourselves isn't there something wrong in that model in those rules of the game in how we are asserting ourselves and how we're selecting leaders based on which competencies, based based on the competency that they can policy that the table speak loud and, you know, be bossy. Is that really what we want out of the leader and out of the future generation and what we need to change our companies and to change our countries? We need something more, right, than that. And so this book, I hope, tries and gives this something more than that and tries and show how values play a role, how purpose plays a role, how thinking about others, not only about asserting yourself and opening the door for others and being a woman on which other women can stand stand on my shoulders to emerge and maybe to change how things are is something that is really a core part of being a leader. And I think what's interesting is I was the G20 Sherpa on gender equality. So I, I got a chance to be hyper exposed to, to gender equality issues a, a couple of years ago under the Italian presidency. And I think what's interesting is that there's a lot of discussions on how to get women around the table, how to mentor and coach and support women so they become more like men. And I think that's where we're getting it wrong. We need to have more women around the table to then take that seat at the table and bring their diversity to the table, not bring more of the same. And so this book is a book where you will find a lot of women that have this very strong diversity trait and a different way of doing things than the usual suspects, I would say, and that somehow had the courage of claiming it and showing it and Also dealing with a lot of pushback because they were doing things differently. It's way more difficult to do things differently than to play by the rules of the game. And they share that experience and they help us understand how is it that we can do it and why is it that we need to now really do it. Um, And again, you asked me to speak from a female perspective. So I'm responding from a female perspective. But one thing I want to say is that these are skills or traits that often we associate more with women. And that I really think women can bring and should bring much more strongly to the table once we get to those top positions. But these are traits that everyone can have, right? It's society that doesn't allow men to be that empathic because, you know, you shouldn't cry, you shouldn't be too sensitive. And we need to break these stereotypes for women and for men. And I hope that this renewed or revisited style of leadership is a leadership that everyone can adopt. It's not about putting the burden on young women to redefine leadership and men are fine as they are. We all need to redefine leadership and we can all lead in a different way. Your book talks about how women are redefining leadership. But as you rightly just pointed out, just because these are leadership lessons from women doesn't mean that they apply only to women. So from your standpoint, what should we all be doing differently based on what you learn in the book? I completely agree there are lessons from women simply because I feel that women voices are often simply not as represented and there's a lot we can learn from them. 
not because I think only women have the wisdom of how leadership needs to be thought. I think there are many amazing male leaders that are rethinking how leadership looks like. Um, so it's a book from women, but for everyone to learn from. Um, I think we need to learn the power that each of us has in, in affecting change and the power that each of us has in doing so if we really manage to be ourselves. I'm, I'm someone that is quite spontaneous. As I was saying before, I speak up quite easily. I've always been like that. And I slowly understood with time that the more I was myself, the more I was free to be myself, also my work environment, the more I would shine. Because finally, by being myself, I... I'm passionate, I'm relatable, I inspire people, I manage to really drive change, right? And really show what my value added is. My value added is, okay, yes, I studied, I went to good schools or whatever you want, but my real value added is my character, my competency, uh, what I want to bring to the table, my vision, my values that I want to bring to the table. And I think that's something that is not always sufficiently encouraged and we're not taught that much, even in university, even in school, the importance of the uniqueness that each of us brings. And if each of us, it's not easy, right, to find what is it that drives you, what is your passion, what do you really care about? But if each of us manages to listen to itself a little bit more and find that, we're going to be so much better. We're going to be so much better at bringing change. We're going to be so much better in our jobs because what makes the difference between two super competent people is the passion that one of them might have and the other person might not have. And that's what's going to make you be one step ahead. And that's what's going to slowly transform you into a leader. So I think it's really this personal power that I think we can all take out as a le learning from this book and this courage that we need, I think, much more of not homologating, not adapting uh, to how things are, but being ourselves, creating our own perspective and having the courage of bringing that uniqueness, of bringing that diversity, of not being scared of doing that. And that's how we're going to create much more inclusive working environments, much more dynamics working environments. That's how we're going to really ask some tough questions that we need to ask within our companies that are super focused on profit while the world is practically burning uh, or our countries that are super focused on fighting when we're all on the same boat. We're all humans and it's, it's crazy what's going on. And we need people that have that courage of bringing that diverse perspective to the table. Uh, and there are many things you can learn from the book, but that's really one that I think can give each of us the kind of, I don't know, little flame that gets you started to then hopefully apply many other lessons you can find in the book. The book is obviously to create learning for other people, but in the process of writing a book like that, often we learn about ourselves. What is one surprising thing that you learned in the process of writing the book? I started the book with this big dilemma, which was how much is the difference between women and men because of nature? How much is culture? How much do women really bring these traits? Are they really feminine traits? Or how much can everybody have these traits? Like, it was something that it was not clear in my mind. And uh, I'll, spoiler, it's still not clear in my mind. <laughs> but I think what was interesting is that this transition that transition that I've made 
by writing the book, right? Of saying, yes, like maybe at the beginning I was more like, yeah, women bring these traits and we need, you know, women to do this change. And by the end of the book, I was like, uh, like we're all on a great scale. And of course, some traits women might have more, partly because when we are young girls, we're taught to care about relationships. Boys are taught to make sure they win with the car races. So partly, of course, there's an education component. Partly, there might be a natural biological component to it. My parents are biologists, so I have a strong scientific background in my, in my mind. And as I was trying to go through this dilemma, I actually spoke to a very interesting professor, a primatologist, and he's called Franz Deval. And I really recommend this book if you haven't read it. It's called Different, What Primates Can Teach Us About Gender. And I had a two-hour conversation with him. And he told me, you know, like, if you leave a broom just because you forgot it in a cage of chimpanzees, the male chimpanzees are going to break it and start throwing it around as a game. The female chimpanzees are going to build a little bed next to them and sleep with a broom in their arms. If you give a doll to a girl and if you give a doll to a boy, it's not only that you are giving the doll so you're telling them, you know, now you girl, you play with the doll. It's what they do with the doll, what they do with the car. And there is a biological part to that and there's nothing you can do about it. And and it's not a fault of anyone. It's just something that with tens and hundreds of thousands of years has been built in us, right? But so I had this as a big dilemma that I had to figure out when I started the book. And by the end of it, I was like, listen, I mean, people that study this for life haven't really figured it out. It's never going to be possible to check how much is nurture, how much is nature. So I shouldn't probably figure that dilemma out. What I should figure out is how is it that we can have a nuanced view on this? How is it that we can understand that, yes, we are all on a great scale. And yes, there are some people, often women, bring these type of traits a little bit more strongly, but they're not at all exclusive to women. And it shouldn't put, we shouldn't put the responsibility on women to be the only ones bringing this to the table. And it really transformed into a book, which I hope speaks a lot also to men, because, because I think everybody has that within us. And everybody has responsibility of doing that shift. And that's not necessarily something I would have expected from the book when I started writing it. So again, I have no response to this nurture-nature dilemma. I'll never probably have it. No one will probably have it. But it doesn't mean we can't all play a role in shifting how nature and nurture impact us. Great. That's fabulous. I think this is an excellent moment to stop our conversation. I encourage everybody to go out and find the book. You can find it on all major retail platforms, I assume. And Gaia, where else can they find you if they're looking for you? You can find me on my website. So it's gaiavanderesh.eu. Of course, on social media, on Instagram under gaiavanderesh or on LinkedIn. So please connect with me. Let me know what you think about my book and of course the book you can find in any online shop and also of course in uh, bookstores so go out and get it great and let me repeat one last time the title of the book is leading our way how women are redefining leadership there will be a link for it 
in the episode webpage. So at this stage of the episode, normally we talk about hobbies. We have the business expression that drives you crazy and food for the body and food for the soul. We actually had a pretty long conversation around your hobbies and your expression drives you crazy and i believe we talked about food for the body the last time so i am wondering if today you want to take a shot at food for the soul maybe a book some music whatever inspires you it's not a particularly good suggestion but i have no idea why but the the soundtrack i've had in mind for this book which i i didn't even properly listen to the whole text and i should but a soundtrack that i sometimes put in my head when i needed to get motivated was the song that goes let's go girls da, 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 from shana twain's and it's not an artistic suggestion at the highest expression but for me it was a bit of a power recharge song that I use throughout the book. So maybe it's a good song if someone wants to feel re-energized to leave you all with. That's an excellent selection. I believe the song is called Man, I Feel Like a Woman. It's back from the 90s. Gaia, you know, this book is very much in line with the philosophy of this podcast to redefine leadership in a broader way. So thank you very much for coming to talk about it on the podcast. Thank you so much, Dino, for having me again. And hope everyone will enjoy reading the book and learning from this amazing woman. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, find a friend who may enjoy it and tell them that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss any episode. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews or ratings like Apple Podcasts, Audible, Good Pods, Spotify, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. Stick around because after the credits, I'm going to play a song by Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. For more information on the episode and all the links, go to the website al4ep.com, spelled with the number four. You can email me at dino at al4ep.com. Make sure you follow the podcast on whatever social media platform you're on. On Twitter and Instagram, our handle is at AL4EDP with the letter D. And on Facebook, look for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, recorded, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. And now, as promised, here is a song by Susan Cattaneo. Gaia mentioned Shania Twain, so here is a song from Susan's country album, Heaven to Hardock. The song is called Country is the State I'm In.
sustainable.